most religious people are atheists, but they're atheists about other gods. Typical Christian disbelieves in all the gods that have ever been developed in human history except one. Welcome to the Common Errors in English Usage Podcast. I'm here with Paul Bryans, author of the Common Errors in English Usage website and book. I'm the editor of that book and host of this weekly podcast, Tom Sumner. Well, hello, Paul. Hi, Tom. Paul, uh, we've been talking about commonly confused terms, but last time, really, we were talking on the topics of sex and music. Uh, how about another nice hot topic? Let's talk about religion and fold some of these mistaken terms into a little discussion to do with religion. Oh, yeah. I notice in the news, and I'll bet you have too, a lot of discussion on the term anti-Semite, anti-Semitism. Usually we take that to mean anti-Jewish religion, anti-Jew. What do we say about that, though? There's some contention about that term. Yeah, well, it's been in the news a lot because of the instance of uh, attacks on synagogues and uh, bomb threats and Jewish graveyards being tombstones overthrown, all kinds of obnoxious behavior. Jewish centers, yeah. And much of it is attributed by a lot of people to the uh, license that Trump has given to not being, quote, politically correct. And that's given some people the feeling that they can say any sort of insulting and rude and horrible things to other people that they want. Um, and Trump was being pressed on this very hard, particularly since he has a Jewish son-in-law and a daughter who, who converted to Judaism. And finally, in his first address to Congress, he brought it up right at the beginning of his speech, because I think he'd been probably pounded on for having said nothing about it, except I'm the least anti-Semitic person you'd ever meet. He loves to say that he's the most of anything, of course. At any rate, it's very much in the news. And that reminded me that sometimes you will hear Palestinians in particular but other Middle Easterners object to the usage anti-Semite to mean somebody who hates Jews by saying, well, technically Arabs are Semites too, and so people who are anti-Semitic could be said to be people who are against us and not just the Jews. And in fact, the Jews might be anti-Semitic and so on. This is playing with words by digging back into their etymology to twist the meaning around. In modern usage, anti-Semitic is shorthand for anti-Jewish, and that's really all it means. And only in the context of this kind of attempt to swap the dialogue around in the direction of the pro-Arab thing does it get used in that sense. So it's interesting though, when I looked it up, I thought it might have something to do with seeds or origins or something. But in fact, it comes from the Bible from Shem, the son of Noah. And in the 18th century, it was used to label people like the Hebrews, the Arabs, the Assyrians, and the Aramaeans, and it was used first as a label for languages. So there were Semitic language group, and there are connections between those various languages. Um, 
and it gets got narrowed down and used to mean Jewish in modern usage. Um, if you were doing technical research on linguistics or in other historical things, you might have some use for Semite. Um, but in modern discourse that has in the general public, especially in political discourse, then Semite is almost exclusively connected with Judaism, and that's not an error, it's just the way that the language has evolved. And I've seen it in political argument as uh, an argument for a so-called one-state solution in the Palestinian and Israeli battle rather than a two-state solution, meaning we are all one people. We, you know, we can live together. We just need everybody to have equal rights. Um, and that's how it gets used politically. So you're not really incorrect if you know that, that uh, the root of the word anti-Semitism or Semite it's just a matter of in common usage we use it this one way and you could really uh, draw the wrong conclusion if you try to overgeneralize that because uh, everybody's using it this way you just got to get on board with that usage yeah it's seldom the case that you can win a political argument by just pointing back to an etymological root that's no longer current well yeah and we see that all over the place uh, we've talked about a lot of terms in english where People want to Latinize the English language and say certain things have to be plural or singular or have to be used a certain way. Ah, you got to give it up. We're, we're dealing with the current day here and how these terms are used. There's actually an interesting historical parallel with Aryan, which was used by Hitler and is still used by some white supremacists. Uh, which is a word that originally labeled people living in India, especially in North India, who conquered India, came down from the north and tended to be lighter skin, as opposed to the Dravidians. And um, it was at first a linguistic label as well. The Aryan languages included Sanskrit, and then there are connections in the etymology of words between that and many European languages. So you can trace back to find roots of German and French and other words in ancient Sanskrit or in languages like that related to it. Uh, with Hitler, of course, this became twisted into a racial label and he got the idea, well, it was associated with these lighter skinned people, therefore lighter the better, and, and it becomes this racist label, uh, Aryan, which unless you're doing studies in ancient Indian history, uh, it's not a good term to use. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about another term that doesn't really, I guess it gets used mistakenly to some degree, uh, the word gospel. I think you have a few things to say about the word gospel. Yeah, I don't know if this is a mistake so much as it is a distinction. Yeah. People who deal very closely with the Bible know that there is what they call the Old Testament. That's the Christian word for the Jewish Bible. But in the New Testament or the Christian scriptures, there is the Gospels and then there are the Epistles. And then you also have Revelation, which is a, an apocalypse, a different kind of writing of its own. Um, it is popular to talk about gospel truth or I believe in the gospels and so on. And often is used loosely to mean either just the Christian scriptures or it can even refer to the whole Bible. But there is a distinction to me between the gospels proper, which are the four gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, unfortunately, not usually recited in uh, historical order. We're pretty sure Mark came first. 
John did come last. So um, those are the Gospels. Paul is not a Gospel writer, and the book of Acts is not a Gospel. Well, let's not confuse that term anymore, especially when we're talking about Bible studies and so on, biblical scholarship. What about, uh, you have some other words that show up in the book. You help us figure out the difference between Hindi and Hindu, and boy, do we ever goof that up. Those terms get used interchangeably all the time. What do we say about Hindi and Hindu? Hindi is a language. You speak Hindi, you write Hindi, you read Hindi. Hinduism is a religion, and the believers in that religion are called Hindus. India has a very large number of different languages, and the dominant one in North India and in journalism and scholarship and stuff tends to be Hindi. But there are a lot of Indians that don't understand or speak Hindi. And there are a lot of Hindi speakers who aren't Hindus, um, Muslims in particular. And there are Parsis and there are all kinds of others. So they're not interchangeable terms. Don't refer to somebody as being a Hindi and you don't say that somebody speaks Hindu. You speak Hindi, you are a Hindu. And to be a Hindu is only a religious label. All right. Well, okay, that's all straightened out <laughs> forever, right? No one's going to make that error again. What about another error that is commonly made, shades of meaning here, agnostic and atheist? This has to do with uh, specifically not being religious, but in what way are you not religious? Are you agnostic? Are you atheist? And what's the difference? This is one that I'm picky about and most people aren't, but I get people criticizing me when I make the distinction. The usual idea is that an atheist is someone who doesn't believe in God. An agnostic is somebody who isn't sure whether God exists or not. Doesn't think it matters, right? Yeah. The problem is that these don't make a neat pair that are divided from each other. The term atheist is usually applied in a way by religious people that suggests that you have to prove that there is no God to be an atheist. And if you can't prove that, then you must be an agnostic instead, because you can't prove it. And the argument I came up with against that was to say, to not believe in something is not necessarily to be determined to prove that it doesn't exist. Proving a negative is famously a futile pursuit. So what I would argue that most religious people are atheists, but they're atheists about other gods. Typical Christian disbelieves in all the gods that have ever been developed in human history except one. So they have no doubt, they know that their God is real, but they are absolutely certain that all the others are false. And so technically you could say that they are atheists in that regard. And that illustrates the point that it doesn't have to do with proof or existence, but the term atheist has to do with belief. And it's a lack of belief. If you do not believe there is a God, then you are an atheist. Agnosticism has always struck me as very problematic. It seems to say, well, there may or may not be. Um, and there are a lot of different ways to be agnostic. One is to just not care. You think, I don't think about religion much. It just doesn't really occur to me. Um, maybe there is a God or something, but uh, 
it's not interesting. That's not an interesting kind of agnosticism. Um, it doesn't really come up much, but I think that's one legitimate way of describing an agnostic. Then there'd be somebody who says, well, I've thought about it a great deal. I see arguments on this side and the other, but um, I'm just not sure which is true. Maybe there is a God, maybe there isn't. Now this works for some people, but if you are a person who is convinced that it's plausible that there is a God who's going to send you to hell if you don't believe in him and worship him, then being an agnostic makes no sense. And this is the argument that is usually called Pascal's wager, which says, if you believe that there is a possibility of a God that will send you to hell, and that salvation is only available unless you worship him, um, but you're not sure, then it's better to believe because in believing, you gain possibly eternal life in heaven and you don't really lose anything. You just live a good life and so on. It's your insurance policy. Yes. The problem with that is that it acts as if, this is a very Catholic argument, it acts as if there's only one way of believing, not only one God, but the Protestants and the Catholics back at the time that Pascal was making this argument already had so much disagreement among them that they believed that the other one was going to hell for what they believed. So you didn't have just a choice of believing or not believing. You had to believe the right way. So it didn't make a lot of sense to Pascal. But if you start thinking, well, how many different gods are there that I could possibly believe in? The odds get reduced drastically. And you say, well, maybe Krishna exists, maybe he doesn't, you know. And you start going down the list of possible gods. The Indians alone supply thousands, of, and they claim sometimes millions, but I doubt that. Uh, so after a while, you begin to say, well, what is the likelihood of any one of these gods being in? Well, which ones do you have to worry about? The ones that are going to send you to hell, right? The gods that don't insist on worship, you don't have to worry about. So in that case, um, it seems that the choice with Pascal's wager is that you should believe in the most scary God, the one that threatens you the most. Yeah. And that is such an obnoxious position. <laughs> it, it isn't loving one bit. It brings out the worst in human beings. So that's why I really think the idea of agnostic is, um, it doesn't make sense logically to me. However, a lot of people uh, hate the term atheist. It's interesting that we now have a growing number, a very large percentage of the American public, particularly young people, who say that they don't have any particular religious belief and that they may call themselves secular or something else, but they still are very reluctant to call themselves atheists. An atheist is seen as somebody combative and somebody who's just a bad person. And it's still impossible to call yourself an atheist and get elected to public office in this country in most cases. Uh, although um, Bernie Sanders came pretty close. The only thing that saved him from entire opprobrium was that he was Jewish by background, um, but he's not a practicing Jew. So, But we don't call somebody like that an atheist unless you want to get into a fight. So people feel that saying agnostic is more polite and that they can receive less criticism if they say, I'm an agnostic, even though I think agnostic is a nonsensical category. There is an agnosticism that is kind of a belief system in itself, which says you got there a little bit, but um, I'll just put it out there, which says, uh, well, 
there may or may not be a God. There may or may not be a viable religion. It just does not matter in this earthly realm. Right. So if we're dealing with day-to-day issues, struggles here in our actual lives that are right in front of us, uh, even if there is some grander scheme to all of this, that will be a distraction from dealing with our day-to-day things. And this allows for um, uh, all kinds of you know scientific research and advances and things like that that we can pursue unhindered by all of these uh, religious and ethical struggles and moral struggles that we might feel if we were attached to a religion. There's also a uh, non-religious meaning for the word agnostic, which means somebody that's uncertain about anything. And uh, you could say that somebody who uh, hasn't studied it deeply is agnostic about whether legalizing marijuana is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's a common way of using it, too. Well, let's stick with these concept terms. Um, we have another one. People really like to uh, slice and dice this. The difference between ethics and morals. And they will tag on the end of there a little discussion of the word morale, which is a little different. But ethics and morals. You talk about that in the book. What do you say about that? So ethics and morals do overlap and in some cases can be used interchangeably. But ethics are essentially beliefs or standards. If you have poor ethics, you have low standards, lax standards. Your morals are your behavior, what you do. So if you have poor morals, you behave badly. So one is about what you believe or uh, strive for, and the other is what you actually do. So you can have high standards, but fail to follow them. So you have very strong ethics, but weak morals. If you believe strongly that you shouldn't get drunk every Saturday night, you go ahead and do it anyway. Um, You've got a strong ethical position against alcohol by weak morals and resisting it. Usually ethics is used in business and government when we're looking at it from the point of view of uh, standards that are being held up. And uh, morals, and they're in a political context, will almost always get reduced down to sexual things like Bill Clinton's relationship with Monica Lewinsky, which was a breach of ethics and immoral by most people's standards. The word morale is really different. Right. People could confuse the word moral and morale, but morale is, it really has its own thing. Yeah, in former times, morale actually could have either one of these meanings, comedian, ethics, or morals. But today, it mostly has to do with a state of mind, particularly how contented you are with your life. And we speak of it often in the military. Troops that have good morales mean that they're still feeling up. They're not discouraged or rebellious. They're uh, loyal and eager to go into battle or whatever. Uh, if you have low morale, you can be also just depressed. So a person with low morals is a bad person, but a person with a low morale might be just a depressed person. Morale and mores get mixed up sometimes mores, ethnographic term about the customs, traditions, and values of a culture is their mores. And it can be a subculture within a culture, so you might have particular mores for uh, what are called hipsters now, for instance, or for uh, southern politicians might have certain mores. 
but that should never be confused with M-O-R-A-Y, which is a kind of eel. Right, yeah. M-O-R-E-S is mores. It looks like mores, uh -huh. like it might be related to s'mores, <laughs> but it's pronounced mores. Right, right. Well, let's stick with a couple of other related terms. How about amoral and immoral? There's a difference there, too, that commonly gets mixed up. Yes, and this one's really worth understanding. Amoral means not having any standards or not feeling guilty about doing things, just being willing to do just about anything. And immoral is a judgmental term, which says, yes, there's a right and a wrong, and the immoral stuff is bad. So people can be criticized for being amoral, but that would mean that they have loose morals, that they are not people with particular ethical standards. But if you criticize them for being immoral, that might suggest that they ought to know better that what they're doing is bad and that they're obviously just being wicked. And I think it goes without saying that an amoral person can be judged as immoral from the other side. Can be and often is. But it's worth knowing the difference between them. They're not absolute synonyms. And usually the word you want is immoral. Uh, I'd like to wind up with one that's uh, very specific to a specific religion. And it was, was one of my favorite entries in the book because I certainly never knew or thought about the distinction before I found your book. And that is crucifix and cross. In the uh, Christian religion, there is a difference, especially in Catholicism, right? Yes. A crucifix is an image of Jesus on the cross. And a cross is just the two pieces, or sometimes three if you're in Eastern Orthodox. But uh, at any rate, when people talk about um, the crucifixion and the image of somebody wearing something, if it has the image of the body of Jesus hanging on it, then that's a crucifix. But if it's just an empty cross, then that's a cross, not a crucifix. And crucifixes are usually associated with Catholics, empty crosses with Protestants. You also get an amusing misspelling sometimes with crucifixion, where people, instead of spelling it F-I-X-I-O-N, will spell it F-I-C-T-I-O-N, which would imply certain skepticism about the whole thing. <laughs> right. You know, I think this is a pretty interesting way to approach some of these commonly confused terms, is to think about them thematically and put them in a context like this. And hopefully at the end of this, now everybody will have all of these religious and religion and morality based terms uh, all straight in their minds and they'll go ahead and never make these kinds of errors again. That's what we do at the podcast, right? <laughs> we try. We try. All right. Well, thank you, Paul. We'll talk again next time. Okay. So long time. That'll do it for the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. Send your comments, questions, and feedback to commonerrorspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.